0: Did you always love America?
1: No. I um, actually hated America. <laughs> with your USA <pupils laughs> <like that
0: often. laughs>
1: Hey guys, hope you're having a wonderful spring. Sun is shining, birds are chirping, they have been for a while. <laughs> Praise the Lord for it. Just a reminder that Kelly has her own channel, Home with Kelly, linked below.
0: And it's if you missed our video that we are doing all the homemaking stuff on a separate channel, that way it can be like all the femininity stuff in one space. Uh, I've been recording a lot of videos over there. So I hope that you'll go over there and subscribe and that you like what I'm creating over there.
1: Amen. Praise God.
0: Amen. So today's video, Scott actually doesn't know what today's video is about because I haven't told him. We're just sitting down. I'm sweating. I'm going to ask questions that I think is interesting about Scott's life that he would never personally share. You just got so uncomfortable. (laughs) Okay, number one. When did you become a Christian?
1: When I was 12 or 13.
0: So how did you grow up?
1: Um agnostic, uh, South Africa is pretty, was pretty Christian, probably still is Christian culture. So all the government schools were very Christian in their ethos and you would have, every Wednesday you would have Sunday school. So I grew up very Christian environment.
0: But like your household wasn't oh, no, not at all. Christian. And then how did you become a Christian?
1: My brother gave his life to the Lord in university. Um, and he discipled me, got involved in church for the first time in my life when I went to high school.
0: Um, So then that brings me to my next question, which I think is so interesting because this is very rare in America for uh, kids to go to boarding school. Like, that's not very common, and if it does happen, it's, like, the wealthiest of the wealthy people that send their kids to boarding school. So you moved out of the house when you were super young. How old were you? Thirteen. And then you moved into like a garden, garden, a garden, (laughs) a
1: garden garden cottage. Yeah. My brothers were, went to the same high school I did obviously ahead of me and they didn't enjoy the boarding house uh, experience. So we had a family friend near our high school. So our high school was an hour and a half away from home. And so they ended up staying with a family friend in their garden cottage. And so when I came to school, my brothers had already left high school. So I just went to the same family
0: friends. And he basically lived on his own from age 13, Mm -hmm. uh, which is so fascinating to me, uh, because that is just unheard of to think of, like, little 13-year-old boys living in a house by themselves. I made
1: it. You made
0: it. (laughs) You did well. And then that ties into the whole, like, that's when you found your church community down there, which Mm -hmm. was really good for you. And then how was schools in South Africa different from what you know of schools in America?
1: Yeah, school in South Africa, it's, I, I mean, I don't know a single school that doesn't wear uniforms, even private schools, public schools.
0: Because you went to a public school. Yeah. And the, that public school was the closest public school to you?
1: Um, probably not. Uh, just with the dynamics in South Africa, it was probably like the closest school that was suitable. Okay. Just because in South Africa, a lot of schools are run down with like terrible... Just, there's no, in South Africa, unless a parents association runs the school, the schools just fall apart with, the government can't run anything in South, in South Africa. So, so um, yeah, uniforms, everyone wears uniforms. We wore, in primary school, we wore khaki shorts tucked in. You always have to have your shirt tucked in, otherwise it's a order mark. You always have to have your socks pulled up, long gray socks to the knees. And then in high school, we wore uh, gray, like gray shorts, gray shirt. Like and then a shirt. suit
0: jacket, right? Yeah,
1: suit jacket for assemblies. And then in the winter, you wore long pants, white shirt with a tie. Number one is what we call it. So.
0: And then if you were on a varsity sport...
1: Which, again, that is that is something that I just don't understand about America, is this whole varsity and JV thing.
0: <laughs> I thought you called so, it varsity.
1: Well, for you to understand it, but like first team is what we would call it. Oh. So, so in South African sports, as many players as there are will play. So if you have... If there was such a thing as football in South Africa, you would have 11 guys on the first team, 11 guys on the second team, 11 guys on the third team until you ran out of guys. Like as many guys as there are, that's how many teams you would field and play against the other high schools. So, um,
0: because sports is a requirement. Yeah.
1: You have to play at least one sport every term. That's the other thing. We have four terms. You don't have a semester like, and we go from January to December, not
0: so it's like year-round schooling mm-hmm. yeah. with long December holidays.
1: Well, it's a short December holiday compared to your summer.
0: That's true. It's like
1: six weeks versus three months or whatever it is. here. Yeah,
0: that is true. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one really interesting thing that's way different from American schooling is the everyone is required to play sports. So then what about people who aren't athletic? What do they do?
1: They play for the nicotine knife team. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, you just, end it. It, it's really fun because If you're not very good at sport, you'll be with a bunch of other kids who aren't very good at sport playing against other bunch of kids who are not good at sport. So it's like, it's at your level. You're not getting, like, destroyed (laughs) by...
0: Didn't you say chess counted as a sport? Yeah,
1: chess is a sport. Um, And and if you were really (laughs) not into sport, you could be a scorekeeper or a... Um, like you could be on the setup side of the sport, you know, the infrastructure <laughs> side, like a manager or whatever, you know, but you had to do something with sports.
0: Yeah, which is so interesting because the public school I went to, um, we only played, we only had gym class. That would have been our thing in freshman year. And then if you played sports, you played sports. Then that's after school separate but like it wasn't a requirement which is i think normal across america mm-hmm. and then also you call your what do you call your grades
1: uh yeah grade 8 9 10 11 and matric
0: and faith is very open in the public school yeah
1: we would we would pray every assembly say the lord's prayer have a bible reading pretty much again it's like that christian ethos was there from i don't know how it is today it's probably very liberal today but you know, 10, 15 well, years ago, whatever it was.
0: When, remember when I went there and you were with us when we were at our little mission mm-hmm. base, we went to the high school and we, like, got in front of the freshman class or something mm-hmm. and we prayed for all the kids. Yeah. And I don't know how normal... That was shocking for me going there because I was like, this would never be allowed in public school is just random people come in and have an assembly where we pray for people. That doesn't happen in America. Yeah. And then um, with manners and rules, like there was, you guys had really strict rules mm-hmm. compared to our schools. Yeah, you,
1: manners are part of your schooling. So, if you're if you're disrespectful in your language or anything like that, that's order marks and detentions and punishments. And but
0: yourself. like, what so. are the like uh, rules for like hair? Yeah,
1: girls, girls aren't allowed to dye their dye their hair. They're not allowed to. And because everyone's wearing uniforms, it's much more modest than, you know, because... So there would be something called, like, Civvy's Day, which is, like, once a term, you'd get a Friday where everyone can come to school in whatever clothes they want. But the girls would always have rules. No bums, bellies, boobs, or backs. (laughs) (laughs)
0: That's a good rule. Yeah.
1: Um, And, like... Yeah, girls couldn't colour their hair or wear makeup uh, Even if it was whatever. a
0: natural colour. Like you said one girl went Yeah,
1: one girl was blonde or was brunette and then came back after term a different color and they I think they gave her a detention or something like that. That's so interesting.
0: Yeah. You went and visited uh, an American middle school. Sheesh. What were your
1: Yeah, I I was exhausted for Exhausted, depressed <laughs> Disappointed, amazed. All amazed. the things.
0: <laughs> Now, this will be really interesting, so if you, I'm just saying, if you know Scott, you know... If you
1: know me, (laughs) you'd know.
0: Scott loves America. Did you always love America?
1: No. I um, actually hated America. (laughs) With your
0: USA hat
1: (laughs) on! All we get in South Africa is like, B-rate American culture, so all of the B-rate movies, soapies series, music, all that stuff, especially in the nineties growing up because there was like five channels. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, and then, uh, my parents would take us on, um, tours for our vacations. So like we would go tour historical sites or museums or whatever. And there'd always be Americans anywhere we would go in the world. There would be Americans on the tour and Americans are so loud and obnoxious at least that's what we thought is man they're they're rude they're obnoxious um and being in an america now you understand the culture like it, w- when everybody's loud it's normal uh but growing up in south africa where that british and even to an extent the Afrikaners, there's a very controlled you know you never show crazy excitement you don't you don't speak loudly you don't shout at people that's rude you don't uh, act up in public or anything you know keep keep appearances keep very um, orderly and, and quiet, whereas in America, you know, people are very friendly, very loud, very uh, expressive. expressive. And so for that reason, I was just like, man, like there's this total cultural difference that I just couldn't understand as a, as a youngster. So like I really wanted, and again, because all you're seeing about America is all the movies and stuff that come out, you know, you're, there's like no desire to go there or ever go there.
0: What were some of the American TV shows or movies that you remember watching? Jag. <laughs> I've never even seen Jag.
1: Um, I'm trying to think all the... We, we had, like, Survivor and Jag. Like, I'm trying to think of all the series we were. So
0: Survivor is the one thing that you and I really have in common it's from our... It's our
1: shared time. childhood. Our childhood.
0: Oh, Wild Thornberries. You watched, yeah. <laughs> you watched the Wild Thornberries. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think if there was anything else that were shared. Bananas and pajamas. Bananas and in
1: pajamas. Yeah, I mean, just, you know, your run-of-the-mill series and stuff that would come out and we'd probably be like a year or two late on that. Yeah,
0: probably. Um, Okay, so then you hated America. What changed your mind?
1: I think after high school, I went through a lot of kind of philosophical, political rabbit holes that led me into my whole libertarian phase of life. So, you know, really started digging into a lot of the philosophical and historical underpinnings of libertarianism, which comes back to a lot of American philosophers and and political guys so really started digging into the history really enjoyed a lot of it
0: did you like America before you came to America
1: no so the only reason I came to America is because a friend of mine was getting married and so I got my visa ready to to coming to go to his wedding but I didn't have the money to go to that wedding so I just randomly got this visa and didn't use it a couple years later I was gonna go backpacking for the summer was looking at all the options and I still had this American visa so I was like well Let's go to America. I was more fascinated by it by then because I'd been digging into the history.
0: And when was this?
1: 2015.
0: You came to America with very little plans. What was your plan that you had in place that you knew you were going to do? Because you were coming by yourself.
1: Yeah. So I had had a six-month window that I was going to go backpacking. I knew I was going to land in New York and I was going to backpack all the way down the East Coast. And I would work on farms for two weeks as a way of keeping my expenses down. And then I would travel for two, like just backpack around for for two weeks and do the Appalachian Trail was my main kind of thing I wanted to do.
0: Which is one of the things that we recommend for people that are just getting out of college and trying to figure out what to do was what you did. Yeah,
1: so it was called Working on Organic Farms. So Woofing was the platform that I used. So all these organic farmers or small farmers have their profiles up of, you know, do they need help, what their farm, what help it would look like and what they offer if they offer food and board or... All that kind of stuff.
0: So you arrive in America. You had three places that you knew you were going to go to. Mm-hmm. And that was... And I had two weeks to get there. But <laughs> that was Virginia, North Carolina, and Georgia. Were those the three yep. places? Mm-hmm. Okay, so you arrived in New York. <laughs> Set the scene.
1: Yeah, arrived in New York. Took the train from the airport to Penn Station. Got out, walked around the block. I was like, eh, this sucks. <laughs> Went back down into Penn Station. And then I kind of like just looked up at the board of all the different train destinations. And I knew I had two weeks to get down to Virginia. So I thought, let me start heading in a southerly direction. So got on the train bound for Philadelphia and basically just every train station I got off to see if there was like a backpackers hostel. Cause like in Europe, if you go back South Africa, anywhere around the, the Anglosphere really, if you go backpacking, there will be a backpackers hostel in most cities where it's really affordable. You can, you know, have a nice little safe place to stay not a thing in america (laughs) so i probably got off like every train station for like 10 train stations all the way down the line from new york through new jersey and eventually i get to the main philadelphia station at about 6 p.m at night it's in the summer though so it's still light outside and i go to the front info desk to see if they know where there's like a is there a ymca because that in europe a ymca is a backpackers um whereas here you had no idea (laughs) (laughs) and so they're like yeah no don't know anywhere there's no backpackers hostel so this guy who looks like danny glover comes up to me and he's like hey man do you have a dollar and i was like i'll give you a dollar but first you need to tell me where ymca is and he's like oh i know where the ymca is buy my ticket let's go so i buy his i buy his ticket and we get on the train together so there's me and danny glover not the danny glover a danny glover look-alike we go like half an hour on this train out to the suburbs of germantown and we get off the train and the conductor who's letting me off, you know, off the train is like, what is this guy doing? Like, I hope you survive. And so off I get with, with this guy and we're walking through the hood. It's just a, a rundown area. He's like, yeah, man, it's two miles up here in my neighborhood. So we're walking and we're chatting and all this stuff. And there's comes this guy across the park toward us. And he's like, oh man, this is my dealer. I'll see you later. Wait for me up at the YMCA. So I was like, cool, man. And I, I get to the YMCA and it was a YMCA, just not a hostel.
0: <laughs> so did you ask them?
1: Yeah, I was like, is there a backpacker's hostel? And they're like, oh, yeah, around the corner, but it closed down or whatever, a motel or whatever it was. So I'm like, I'm not sticking around this area. I'm going to get mugged or something. So I go the other way to avoid Danny Glover and his friend. And I like hightailed the two miles back to the platform, walk up the stairs onto the train platform. I'm like, it's now like 7 or 8 p.m. at night. It's still light out but i'm like there's probably no more trains left tonight so i'm gonna this was
0: your first night in America. This is my first night in america were you like regretting no it's just
1: like it is what it is like we're on an adventure here um
0: did you have a plan made
1: no, no. <laughs> my plan was i have two weeks to get to wherever in virginia um, i put my backpack down we're up on like a platform above the neighborhood so i put my backpack down and i'm like i'm gonna sleep here tonight on the platform just make sure i don't get seen from the road so i kind of like slunk down and thankfully half an hour later the train that dropped me off came back and it was the final train of of the of that evening and the same conductor sees me as i get on and he's like what are you where are you going i was like i'm looking for a backpackers and he's like oh there's a backpackers hostel at the end of the line at the in the middle of downtown where all the museums are where all the fun stuff is i'll drop you right at that station and so he takes me right to the end drops me off he's like two blocks left there it is and it was a european style backpackers hostel, and so I spent a week in Philadelphia did Fourth of July watched Rocky on the Rocky Steps saw all the reenactments and the marches and the it was a wonderful week in Philadelphia and then had a spiritual experience at William Penn's uh, memorial what was that so William Penn was the founder of Pennsylvania and um, he just had a bunch of his kind of um, journal extracts and and quotes from him on this huge big memorial kind of garden that overlooks the river. Just his kind of vision of you know trying to have a place that was heaven on earth that that honored God and uh, honored their neighbor. That was his kind of hope for Pennsylvania. That was really cool. I think that, I think maybe that's where like I, I fell really fell in love with America. of Just really, I had studied the history, but now I was like in the history.
0: Yeah. Did you go to D.C. on that trip?
1: Oh yeah. And then I went to D.C. for a week after Philadelphia on my way down to Richmond.
0: And then you went to Richmond and that was what farm did you work on there?
1: Um, It was a small cattle farm in Afton, Virginia, which was like right up against the Blue Ridge Mountains. It was really beautiful. So I would just feed the cows in the morning. I would pull weeds in the garden. I would do whatever uh, manual tasks. I'd pretty much work like five hours in the morning, four or five hours in the morning And then that host was really generous. They would lend me their car. And so every afternoon, I would just drive up into the Blue Ridge Mountains. It was also interesting because it was in the middle of Trump's presidential run. And pretty much...
0: That's right, because it was summer of 2015 when he announced Mm -hmm. he was going to run. So
1: it was great. It was a lot of fun. Uh, And this family I was staying with were like huge Bernie supporters, which is also funny because it's just like at that point in time, it it was just fun. It was very fun.
0: Okay, so then the next farm that you went to was in North Carolina.
1: Yep. Hickory, North Carolina. That was a lot of fun. Machine gun pastor, God bless.
0: Was that your first time shooting guns?
1: Um, I, I've shot guns before. This is my first time shooting like semi automatic rifles and huge, big revolvers and Should things like
0: that. Should we include
1: this in the video? Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> So that was, that was a great. Which a this great time. actually
0: This caused us some problems for Scott coming into America a year later. To meet to come marry me because when you're at the machine gun pastor's property and you're shooting all these guns, you, they're taking pictures of you shooting guns. So you have a folder of your whole experience. Fun memories. And then, do you want to tell the story? Yeah. So
1: I get detained.
0: No. So then the, the, a year later. Yeah, a
1: year you, later. A, a year later at the airport coming. So Kelly and I have met. I'm coming over to meet her parents. So I get to customs, and they detain me in their, like, interrogation room.
0: Because you're asking for a six-month visa. And because
1: they said, why am I here? I'm like, I'm coming to marry my girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> detained. <laughs>
0: You've gotten detained. Every time. Except this past time, you didn't get detained. Oh,
1: God bless. Thank you, officer. Very cool. Yeah. Maybe because I was wearing everything American.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I get detained, and they, they basically make me wait in this, like, room for probably an hour and then eventually these officers with latex gloves and they say we saw you were in the country a year ago for for three months whatever it was do you have proof that you were here on you know uh backpacking and and you know all of that so i was like yeah can i pull up my computer and show you photos they're like sure and so i go to my america folder and the first 20 photos that are in my america (laughs) folder are like me shooting an ak me shooting shotguns me shooting rifles like oh (laughs) sorry (laughs) let's get to the farm side um, so it was a lot of fun. <laughs>
0: and you made it. They made gave it. you the six month. That's right. Visa. okay, anyways, back to your backpacking in America. One thing I want to ask is, did you have culture shock on that trip coming from South Africa to America?
1: I think I had a lot of wonder. It was a really wonderful time. I felt for the first time like, wow, this is this is the first time I've ever been in a country of my own people. It was a lot for me to take in. Everyone I was around spoke English. Everyone I was around was christian in their culture it was safe you didn't have to worry you know even in germantown philadelphia it was like i'm gonna sleep on the side of the ro- of the railroad for the night Whereas Which you in, would in south remember. africa i would have been petrified i would have been making plans so just this this amazing wonder and awe of of experiencing civilization for the first time really
0: Well then you went out to california
1: yeah then i went to visit my friend out in northern california spent a month out there that was really beautiful and then my trip was cut short by my blessed brother getting married in the middle, so I went back home after three months.
0: To be at his wedding. Mm
1: -hmm. Probably saved me a lot of money because I'd probably run out of all my
0: money. (laughs) (laughs) Although, I don't know, you were, what were your meals, your usual?
1: So obviously when I was at these farms, they fed me very well. But in like the the time between farms, when I was just backpacking around, I would go to a 7-Eleven every morning and get a dollar slice of pizza and like a 50 50 cent cup of coffee. So like $1.50 and I I have an awesome breakfast every morning. God bless seven eleven kept me alive.
0: <laughs> oh my since we're on the topic of culture shocks, do we want to go fast forward to a year? Mm-hmm. You're coming to America to marry me. You arrive, and you experienced culture shock more I think mm-hmm. when you came to live here. so I wonder why it was different you coming when
1: I think the first time I knew I was just traveling, and so there was like no unwinding, if you want to call it that. Whereas I think this time coming over, we knew we'd be here for a while and starting a life together. And so I think there was maybe like a, an unraveling of boundaries and traumas, past traumas, if you want to call it that. But yeah, I remember probably like our second, my second day. So like I arrived, stayed the night at your parents. And -hmm. the next day you took me out to a park.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And I remember just sitting on this park bench overlooking the pond. I think I had like a a reverse cultural shock or whatever but I just remember seeing all these picnic blankets out with people's handbags and stuff just left there as they went for walks around the lake and
0: where they were fishing or they were just
1: like fishing and left their stuff 50 meters behind them or like children were just walking around with just doing their own thing this would never happen in South Africa you know you'd constantly be looking over your back and like where's the car who's coming how do we get out of here you're constantly, I uh, actually you remember speaking with your brother-in-law who's, who's a, an army veteran and we were just chatting about it. it's, it's a very similar life for army veterans re-entering American society because you get this thing of everywhere you go is dangerous, you have to be on, things are trying to kill you or, or harm you or take from you and so to come back into American society you have to let go of those habits that have formed of constantly being on guard and being vigilant and now you can come into society and it's very peaceful and you can leave your doors unlocked. You can leave your car unlocked. You can, you know, in South Africa you have to bolt everything down or close everything up or hire I, a security guard. I guess
0: not everywhere you can't leave your doors on. It's not wise here, but
1: yeah, the I, odds I, yeah. are. The odds are in your favor here. I mean, majority of people can still live that way. Whereas there's not a chance in South Africa. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I just and remember, then do you just
0: get used to that lifestyle there? Because yeah. where you live, where you're from, isn't quite like that.
1: I mean, we still live behind security gates and razor wire. We lock our doors at night. True, like dogs.
0: Yeah, and then when you lived in Peter Mereitsburg.
1: Yeah, that that was like high security gates and locked. Did complexes. you ever
0: have a fear for your life experience in South Africa?
1: Yeah, the there were like two or three direct. Run ins with either violent people or people, you know, wanting to steal stuff and then kept, you know, being caught out. So they're wanting to fight. And so, yeah, there were a few, probably like three occasions in my life where it's like, okay, I could have died or fought, be forced to kill someone.
0: So, do you think that like coming to America it was like reverse trauma? <laughs> like,
1: yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, you, you, you're, you can actually let stuff unravel um, and kind of deal with a lot of that stuff of coming into a safe place for the probably for the first time in my life.
0: And I think that's why, so we got married, we actually got married the Saturday before the 2016 Trump election. So we were on our honeymoon in Florida when uh, it was election night. Mm
1: I knew. We went to bed at 9 because I knew.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we did. We didn't stay up and watch anything. We woke Mm -hmm. up the next morning. And um, we were both really active on Facebook at that time. And so it was, like, so fun to see people screeching and crying. I shouldn't say it was fun. It was fun at the time. It felt very victorious. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, now it's... I'm very glad we're not on any of that stuff anymore.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, At the time, we were.
0: And um, at that time, like, I think you still have this passion, but especially then because you were so fresh coming out of South Africa, it was like, you had this amazing, like love for America. And I, it's like you,
1: I think, I think the perspective is there. Like I see for America, what like, number one, like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. People would go to South Africa for a week. You'd come back here and you'd kiss the ground just as far as civilization is concerned you you take so many things for granted where you go to Africa and it's it's a life of survival and danger uh, and failure and that's not to say you can't make a life there there's many people who make a very good life there and and they've built their own order into the chaos but that's they have to maintain that and it's a constant maintenance against the prevailing energy and culture of chaos whereas here it's there's there's a prevailing order and civilization and things work and you know there's a cultural christian ethos at least for where we've lived and and have been around and so for me i see that and i'm like you cannot take this for granted the same forces which have destroyed south africa are at work here in america
0: and in what ways are they destroying south africa because it's not like they're just going out and they are like i was going to say going out and killing people they are with the south african farmers but like what is the slow decline that has happened
1: yeah you know you just get this this moral decay of people in authority who do not act respectfully toward God in their their moral position and so in South Africa this this corruption uh, of the bureaucracy anything that's government run, anything that's government controlled is just a mechanism for power and money. And so that's the same forces you see here where politics and media and culture has just become an extraction mechanism for people at the top of those hierarchies to extract wealth and power at the expense of their people and place. I think the only places where there's peace or some form of prosperity in Africa are where people can separate themselves and hide themselves from the government and enact their own hierarchies, their own space of order and infrastructure. Those are the only places that have peace or prosperity. Because you cannot be a part of a corrupt hierarchy and keep out the forces of corruption and destruction.
0: You've lived basically in America now for seven years?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It'll be seven years this summer. Yeah. When we go back, how is the experience for you going back? It's
1: a mix of sadness and it's a mix of appreciation and thankfulness there's that saying of don't be sad it's over be thankful it happened and so i'm incredibly grateful for my childhood i'm incredibly grateful for the wonderful memories i had growing up in south africa my my school years after school years with with all of my my friends and and family and um that that incredible yeah just being really thankful for where the lord chose for me to to grow up but then there's this incredible sadness uh, to what it's become. There's cultural eras that once you go into them, you're never coming out of them. And I feel like the the kind of crazy meltdown um, of the Trump era really poured over into South Africa. And so there was this incredible uh, aggressiveness of liberalism that that overcame South Africa from like 2012 probably onwards with a lot of racial strife, a lot of uh, grievance and bitterness. And then once you threw the whole uh, coup, Lockdowns and everything again. An era was entered that cannot be taken back from. It's probably how people felt with World War One. Of after World War One, people would look back and you it, you can never go back. You can never go back to how life was before World War One. You can never go back to how life was before World War Two. Or you know, there, there's all these moments. You can never go back to how life was before 9/11. Mm-hmm. And it's the same for us now. You know, you can never go back to how life was before. All these lockdowns and the crazy aggressive liberalism. So, all you can do is look to the future and say, What am I going to build that's different? Or, How am I going to build differently to protect myself from this era, from this overwhelming culture and its effects on our lives? And so, that's the incredible sadness for me when I go back to South Africa because you see this incredible destruction of a people and a place, not just my people, you know, because a lot of people would be like, who are you are you just saying for your people or is this for it's for every people group every tribe and tongue has been there's a sadness to africa in just how each culture and each tribe has has where they're at right now it could be so different that's my kind of feelings i think whenever we go back is this incredible mix of both sadness and gratitude
0: and i think also you actually see the decay happening unlike if you were to live there and there's like a slow decay every time we go back it's every two years and And it's a stark difference difference yeah and so earlier you said you were really into libertari libertari libertarian how am i saying Mm -hmm. this libertarianism Libertarianism. uh you were really into libertarianism and since we're talking about the whole political stuff what shifted Mm -hmm. you into more patriarchal and even now like for you, I would say politics aren't the answer. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I think libertarianism is, you know, uh, the point of a state, uh, the purpose of a state is to serve the best interests of its people and its place. When you realize that the state is not serving your people and your place, in fact, it's, it's opposing them and, and harming them. A lot of people become libertarians because you realize, wait, the state is bad. Well, no, it's being used incorrectly, but, Anyway, you become libertarian because the state is bad. So so the state is harming my people and it's harming my place. So therefore, the state is the problem. And so you become a libertarian. The problem with libertarianism is that you afford to everybody else this incredible respect and this incredible freedom and liberty because you expect them to be adults and treat you the same way. No one else wants to treat you the same way as you would treat them. It's the abusive. A relationship right if you're constantly giving 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 that other person isn't gonna suddenly the abuser who's getting and getting and getting isn't all of a sudden gonna be like you know what you're right I should also give the same as you're giving me and so we have to learn that libertarianism is not the answer because you're just gonna constantly get steamrolled you know well we'll go start a new place over here well then they just follow you and take over there well then we're gonna go start a new place over here and it never ends until you put up a boundary and say this far no further uh, this is how we demand to have our interests met. And and that's an incredible place of negotiation and mutual respect. A lot of abusers are offended when you say, no, you, you will not abuse us. Uh, we have our own needs and interests. They're incredibly offended. You know, it's that whole thing of if people don't like you loving your people and loving your place, it's because they don't love your people and your place. So that was kind of the the, you know my five years of liber- maybe ten years of libertarianism it's because in South Africa you realize that this government is so against us that government must be the problem and then you come to America and you realize wait when a government, when infrastructure and when authority systems serve your people in place it's an incredible blessing, it's an incredible benefit and you realize that it's a tool and so the tool is waiting to be picked up by people who will abuse it or by people who will be a blessing to your people in your place. Government is just an inanimate tool It's the people behind it, the people in those positions who determine whether it is used to pursue the best interests of your people in place or to pursue the best interests of other people in other places against those of your people in your place.
0: So then the switch to patriarchy, would you say that really happened in like 2018?
1: Yeah, probably so. And I I think reading Wendell Berry really... Wendell Berry takes things from a conceptual right down to what can you control? The only thing you can control is your own family, your own property, your own local community, your own local economy. These are the things that you have direct patriarchal authority over. And so you can put up a boundary around them. Only once you control and steward those things well, can you go up a conceptual level. A lot of people will be like, well, that sounds like libertarianism. Just you do you. That's like, Yes, but then once you've done you and got that squared away, you have to go up. You have to go to your neighbor, you have to go to your community, you have to go to your tribe, and you have to be one who looks after the best interests of your people in your place. And so this patriarchal mindset of you, you can't just let evil people be evil and just be like, well, as long as they do them and, and just leave me to do me, because that, the only people that that affects is you. Everyone else is still going to do them they're just gonna come and, and do it at your expense.
0: So we're gonna stop here, but this I really enjoyed this. I think this is a lot of fun. So I'm thinking we will do a part two of this video. If you guys enjoyed it, then uh, we will carry on with the Q and A's that I ask Scott. And if you have questions, comment on this video and I will ask them in the next one. Yeah, we hope you guys enjoyed this. Praise God. Bless you. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. You can support our channel by leaving a review on Apple Podcast, or if you would like to purchase from our shop, our website is homewithkelly, K-E-L-L-I, Dot co we have organic rooibos that we bring in from scott's home country of south africa it is a delicious no caffeine tea loose leaf it is so good iced or warm and i also have some vintage home goods in the shop and i make some hand-bound journals which are also available we hope that everything that we share is an encouragement and a blessing to you and your family